Common law gives us our authority to keep critical infrastructure viable. Anti-vaccine mandate protesters break through RCMP barricades, shutting down BC's busiest border crossing. Plus, Boomer was a special guy and he never wanted anything. With a makeshift memorial growing, how residents are remembering the man known as a fixture of Vancouver's Davy Street. And there is no option for an emergency patient that needs emergency care. A BC mother whose son needed emergency care speaks out about their issues getting inside the hospital. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's biggest commercial border crossing is the latest to be targeted by anti-mandate protesters. Today, those in solidarity with the trucker convoy blockades and demonstrations headed right for the Pacific Highway crossing. Paul Johnson has been watching this demonstration all day and joins us now with the latest. So, Paul, what is the status of the demonstration right now? Me too. You know, I've been covering these protests since they started in 2020, and this is by far the biggest one that I've been at. There were at least 2,000 people out here today. And just to give you a sense of this, we're about three kilometers from the border here at our position on 176, and you can still see there's a long line. There's a long backup of people, many of them people coming down to show their solidarity with the truckers. You can hear some of them right now. Now, as to the status of the crossability of the border, the demonstration did not succeed in shutting it down, but they did cause major disruptions. I think it's safe to say the status of the Pacific border crossing right now is tentative. Stuck in park just north of the border, this trucker is hauling a load of jet fuel to YVR. How are you feeling about that? I don't know, <laughs> what can I say? Other truckers got delayed going south, we spoke with one trying to get home to Portland who had no idea when that will happen. Well, our top priority today is actually public safety. Police say they don't need an injunction to clear demonstrators and vehicles and can use existing laws to keep this vital economic link open. Common law gives us our authority to keep critical infrastructure viable, so we will use law enforcement to uh, and you know um, the Motor Vehicle Act. This is what happens when you let the government take your rights away. Now heading into its third week, the trucker convoy movement continues to grow and morph into a catch-all protest for people fed up living with the public health orders. Early attempts by politicians to diminish it by calling it a fringe movement and even racist have failed to contain it and quite possibly backfired. Yeah, if this is what racism looks like, with everybody, all different cultures and colours coming together, I'd rather be a racist than one of those politicians who are calling us racist. They're the real racists. Well, you can pick from a wide selection of grievances here. One way of understanding this movement is an opportunity for people who felt isolated and ignored to come together. Whether you agree with that or not, don't underestimate the power of that. So you're at the end of your rope. I, I'm at the end. I want my family back. I want everybody to be happy with each other. I'm so tired of this. It hurts. It hurts my heart. And I've never been prouder to be a Canadian right now. I have never felt such happiness in all my life for the last two years. And that's all I want to say. I have no voice. Thank you for talking to us. 
So while there's a lot of intensity down there today, mostly from what we could observe, things were peaceful. Though the RCMP did tell us there was some low-level jostling that did take place at one point where a vehicle and some people broke through a cordon. But they're telling us that their posture here, as opposed to what we saw happening in Ontario at the Ambassador Bridge, is they intend to not let a convoy and a blockage get established here that can stop and completely impede the flow of traffic. They want to try to keep it open, but they want to try to do it uh, as peacefully as possible. Uh, whether that situation is going to be able to hold, I think we'll know more in the coming hours. Need to? We really appreciate your coverage from the scene there. That's Paul Johnson reporting tonight. The protest at the Pacific Highway crossing coming just as officers moved in on the bridge blockade in southern Ontario. It comes a day after a judge ordered protesters to leave Windsor's Ambas Ambassador Bridge. Sean O'Shea has that part of the story. Hours after a judge ordered these protesters to leave, they defiantly stayed on into a sixth day. But supporters knew their time was up. They've tried to negotiate. When the time comes, when it's all said and done, hopefully, like I said, everything goes peaceful. Just after sunrise, police moved in. Dozens of officers from around Ontario and the RCMP were brought in. The Ontario Provincial Police and RCMP had their tactical vehicles for backup. Police surrounded the first group occupying the bridge, the most significant trade link between Canada and the United States. Spotters kept watch from above. All as some protesters tried to convince police they shouldn't be doing this. Are you going to start believing in you? When? And when they have to get their tenth shot, I hope they, they stand up and they're by themselves. All week these protesters said that if police came, they wouldn't leave. But when push came to shove, that's exactly what they've done. Police wanted everyone to leave. The news media ordered back too. We have these media out front of the line. Media, out there, let's go. And again, Canadian media outlets heard this from some protesters. You fake news? Get the f out of here then. Clearing the blocked area was a time-consuming operation. Police worked slowly and carefully, impeded by others who showed up to lend their voice to the demonstration. When force forces you, you don't have a choice, you know. The bullies run our lives. What looked like an effective police operation to clear the bridge has run into problems because more than 10 hours after it started, other protesters have been joining in all day. And at this point, the Ambassador Bridge remains closed. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Windsor, Ontario. It is day 16 of protests in the nation's capital. Protests the Prime Minister and police call an illegal op occupation. But as Abigail Beeman tells us, for the third weekend in a row, crowds have swelled in the city's downtown and the National War Memorial has become a flashpoint once again. A dramatic scene around 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon at the War Memorial here when a group of a few dozen people, most of whom appeared to be veterans or wearing military attire, started dismantling the fence surrounding the war memorial. Now, that fence was put up uh, a couple of weeks ago after the beginning of the protest when people were 
dancing on the war memorial, uh, climbing on the war memorial. A police investigation is underway about that. But it seemed that the people taking the fences down here today were frustrated that people couldn't have access to the site, so they removed all of them. There was not a large visible police presence as this was happening. Afterwards, two officers came to speak to those people who had been dismantling the fences. Uh, and in the course of that conversation, one of the officers told those people that they were now responsible for protecting this site, for protecting the war memorial. Uh, those police outnumbered by the large crowd here. And that was the message in, in a new update from Ottawa Police put out Saturday morning, where they said that they have a plan to end uh, this protest, which they're calling an illegal occupation, but they are waiting for the resources uh, in order to do that. Uh, more broadly here, there are thousands of people in the downtown core. That is uh, the third weekend in a row where there has been an increase in protesters on the weekend. All in Ottawa on Saturday, a counter protest of a few hundred people uh, not entering this area of the downtown, staying further back, uh, but voicing their displeasure with the situation that is underway uh, here in Ottawa today. But as it stands now, this war memorial, uh, a large group, as you can see behind me, still surrounds it, but that fencing has been taken down. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. And for the third straight Saturday, anti-mandate protesters also converged in Victoria. More people returned to the lawn of the legislature to speak out about the ongoing COVID-19 restrictions. There were some traffic disruptions earlier in the day, but Victoria police say that has since cleared. They say two people were arrested in connection with last Saturday's gathering. No word if anyone was arrested today. In the Okanagan, groups of vehicles headed from Vernon all the way to the Asuyas border this afternoon. Honking could be heard throughout the region. Hundreds of vehicles held up traffic, some on social media saying they had to take detours and were stuck in traffic for more than three hours. The convoy reaching the Asuyas border protesting vaccine mandates and COVID-19 regulations. More members of the Orange Shirt Society are condemning the appropriation of that symbol by those tied to the so-called Freedom Convoy protests. Orange Shirt Day founder Phyllis Webstad released a statement Thursday saying the only Orange Shirt Day is on September 30th and the meaning of both the day and the shirts is as an observation of the impact of residential schools in Canada. The statement comes after some convoy organizers asked people to wear orange shirts as a symbol of their support of the blockades. We are very disappointed. I mean, this day and age, getting young children to walk out of school isn't something that anybody should be endorsing, should be promoting education in our young ones, and pushing them to be showing up every day. Orange Shirt Society stands for raising awareness. We want to hold up and honour the lost children, survivors, their families. Residents in Vancouver's West End are in mourning tonight as word spread that a man who lived for years on a street corner in the neighbourhood has passed away. As Amadagahi reports, many are feeling the loss of a fixture in their community. With each passing hour grows a stack of flowers and words of sorrow for a man just about everyone in Vancouver's West End knew in some way or another. This is a, a spontaneous memorial for Boomer and Boomer has been 
very long time living on the sidewalks of the West End. It is a staple here. Yeah, I'm one of the first people that I met when I moved here. Neighbors say the man named Boomer was homeless and spent much of his time at the corner of Davie and Butte. The tragic news of his passing is now being shared through word of mouth and Facebook groups. You can see Boomer was a special guy and he never wanted anything. And everyone, yeah, has so much love for him. He was believed to be in his 70s, adopted by many here as a beloved member of the West End. He was kind to people and looked out for others the way people looked out for him. You get to know someone who, who lives in your neighborhood. So um, he used to, you know, keep the streets safe. He used to uh, stop people from, from homophobic um, attacks. Boomer was a really warm, friendly human being. Um, everybody on the street was safer because he was here. Apart from this growing memorial, West End residents that knew him are trying to organize a vigil and a funeral. And so I'm hoping to get in touch with his son and hoping that we can um, get the local church to give him a memorial. Those mourning his loss today say they will miss his presence and the way he used to smile and say hi neighbor each and every time he was passed. He always had a friendly word and something nice to say. Global News. Victoria police are renewing their plea for help to find a man who vanished more than a month ago. 54-year-old Ian Indridson was last seen on the morning of January 10th, and police say his disappearance is out of character. It's believed he may have gone to an area near the ocean. Indridson works with the Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General and was previously a longtime public affairs officer with the B.C. government. Investigators believe Indridson's health or well-being may be in immediate danger. If you see him, you're asked to call 911. Nanaimo RCMP are investigating a homicide this weekend. Police responded to a well-being call at around 9 this morning at a commercial business at the corner of Highway 19A and Rutherford Road. Officers found a deceased man inside. A second man was taken into custody soon after. A man was arrested early this morning following a lengthy standoff in Penticton. RCMP say officers were alerted to an incident along the 700 block of Winnipeg Street at about 4.30 a.m. Police learned that there was a man in the residence being assaulted and potentially having a firearm. He did not comply, and RCMP's emergency response team was on the scene for several hours. Eventually, the 29-year-old surrendered and was arrested. RCMP say no one was hurt during the standoff. A $100,000 reward is being offered to help find suspects in connection with the ski chairlift arson at Kimberly Alpine Resort. RCMP say a fire broke out at the North Star Quad chairlift around 3 a.m. on December 18th. Crews later determined that the fire was deliberately set. Now the Kimberly Alpine Resort and resorts of the Canadian Rockies are offering the reward to anyone with information that leads to the location, arrest and conviction of suspects involved in the arson. If you have any information, you're asked to call Kimberly RCMP. After the break, families facing limited hospital access. We get to the hospital um, and there was no parking at emergency. A BC mother speaking out about the challenges getting her son into the ER after an injury and later. The one guy just walks straight through the glass, no hesitation at all. How two theft suspects thwarted their own getaway plan 
by missing their only escape. Surrey RCMP are investigating a shooting in a Newton neighborhood. Officers were called to a home near 134th Street and 60A Avenue just before 8.30 last night following reports of shots fired. A vehicle believed to be the target was found a few blocks away with no driver inside. Police believe the victim was driving their vehicle while being shot at by someone in a light-colored SUV. No injuries were reported, but police would like to confirm the well-being of the driver and other occupants. If you have any dash cam or CCTV footage, call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. A driver suffered serious injuries after a vehicle slammed into a pole near 190th Street and 36th Avenue in Surrey early this morning. Police say the driver was rushed to hospital in critical condition. Surrey RCMP add speed and weather may have been contributing factors in this crash, but it's still early in their investigation. A man has been sentenced to six months in jail and 24 months probation for a fatal crash in Surrey two and a half years ago. A 26-year-old man named Varun Kumar Saini pleaded guilty last June to dangerous driving causing death in the September 2019 crash, which claimed the life of his passenger, a man in his 20s. Saini was behind the wheel of a black Mustang when police say it lost control while trying to pass a gray Camaro on Nordell Way. Both vehicles collided and the Mustang slammed into the hydro pole. Saini was also handed a five-year driving ban. The woes over parking at Lower Mainland hospitals appear to keep on growing. One of the latest incidents has a Coquitlam family speaking out to say their ordeal of trying to get their injured child to the ER was compounded by problems well before they got to the emergency ward. Julia Foy reports. Today, I'm riding on the swing. Meet five-year-old Isaac. He and his two brothers keep their mom busy. I'm a spider, like Spider-Man. But on February 9th, the laughter stopped. My little one was jumping on the couch. He knows the rules, but boys are boys, and he fell and hit his head. It was very clear that he needed stitches. I hit myself right by the end of the step. Taryn decided to take Isaac to Royal Columbian Hospital. As we're driving, I noticed he's saying he's dizzy and he's now falling asleep which to me are signs of concussion. And that's when things got even scarier. We get to the hospital um, and there was no parking at emergency. It's all blocked off and that's new. And so then I went to the parkade as directed and there was no parking. I circled and circled. Parking is restricted outside the emergency department for drop-off only or emergency vehicles. The public is directed to a parkade around the corner. Once she made it into emergency, everything went well. They did a fantastic job. My son stitched him up. We're on um, concussion watch. He put a stitch in my head. And how's it feeling now? Good. Tiering claims it took 45 minutes to find parking close enough to carry her son into emergency. We thought we'd check out how busy it is on a Saturday afternoon. Five seconds after driving in, there's already people pulled over illegally. Well, I drove around for about 15, 20 minutes. And one person ahead of me found the one spot that became available in that time. I can only imagine how frustrating it would be if this was an emergency. Taryn works as a doula, and she was trying to get to little Demetrius's birth in October when parking at RCH delayed the plan. She was driving around and around and around and around trying to find parking, and she's our doula. I needed her, like, pronto. She's worried other moms might not be so lucky. 
I have friends that are coming up on their due date and I'm like, I'm fearful they're not going to make it in. Global reached out to Fraser Health for a response on the parking claims, but they were unable to provide any information before deadline. In the meantime, Isaac appears to be doing just fine. <laughs> Julia Foy, Global News. Still ahead, more problems for a Prince George pub. The latest clampdown after a pandemic party that went against several public health orders. Plus, still waiting for surgeries. Severe staffing shortages in interior health continue to delay procedures. The plea from patients next. More than three years after slow-moving landslides began, final evacuation orders have been lifted for an area south of Fort St. John. The orders and alerts were issued in October of 2018 and June of 2020 after a steep hill slumped above about 50 homes in the community of Old Fort. The only road connecting Old Fort to nearby Fort St. John was cut off during a severe slide before torrential rain caused the hillside to slip more. The Peace River Regional District says the last Old Fort landslide evacuation order for several properties on three roads near the community has now been rescinded. The BC Liquor and Cannabis Regulation Branch has taken action against a Prince George nightclub after a party was held there in defiance of the current COVID-19 public health orders. The authority confirming they have suspended the liquor license for the Lambda Cabaret for non-compliance of the PHO. Several videos posted by the business themselves earlier this week showed patrons dancing and drinking with no sign of any face masks. A sign on the nightclub's door states they will not comply with checking proof of vaccination for patrons. On Wednesday night, Northern Health posted that the nightclub was ordered closed for failing to follow public health orders. CKPG News reached out to the Lambda Cabaret's owner for comment, but there has been no response. In Health Matters Now, residents in Interior Health are hoping the staffing challenges at local hospitals don't drag into a fourth week and lead to even more postponements of non-urgent surgeries due to the pandemic. Delana Nishaw of CFJC News reports. Hugh McLennan, longtime radio host, cowboy and transplant recipient, has become part of another group in the interior. He's among the many people who have had a surgical procedure put on hold. A lot of what I do, work-related, is on horseback. And until the surgery is done, I won't be able to even get on a horse or do anything like that. McLennan's leg was injured in late September, and he was set to have surgery in Salmon Arm on February 15th. However, a week before surgery day, McLennan got a call explaining it was postponed indefinitely as a result of staffing redeployment. Through my kidney transplant and uh, being on dialysis, I got to know a lot of the healthcare professionals uh, through that process, and I got the highest respect for them. You know, they're wonderful, caring people doing their absolute best, uh, and they're so frustrated by this too. Three weeks ago, Interior Health announced there would be a reduction of non-urgent surgeries in response to Omicron-driven staffing challenges. Since that announcement, IH says approximately 1,200 surgeries have been postponed. If we proceed to the full four weeks, which we anticipated we might need to do, it would be approximately a reduction of 2,700 surgeries. So that's across all of Interior Health. In the next week, IH CEO Susan Brown says they're going to reassess the amount of sick calls and positivity rates from staff and hopefully be able to resume more non-urgent surgical procedures. Much as this has been very inconvenient and disappointing to a number of residents, 
We will do our best to catch up as we come out of this as quickly as possible. But I'm able to forecast that better once I know exactly when the end date is. McLennan, meanwhile, hopes healthcare on a provincial scale will see permanent improvements so staffing and resources are not so strained. It's not going to be changed in a day or a week or a month or even a year, but if we don't start you know, making a lot of these changes as soon as possible, it's just going to go on and on. But for now, he'll be keeping an ear out for that much-anticipated phone call with a new surgery date. Delana Nishaw, CFJC News. Coming up next, a cherished piece of the country's history and heritage finds a new home. Some of these characters are over 80 years old. Where and when you can see the first Chinese-Canadian museum in Vancouver. A little bit sad. Yeah, <laughs> you a bit see? sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of good memories here. The kids took lessons here. The public gets one less ch- one last chance to wave goodbye to the Canada Games Pool in New Westminster. We'll have more on that in a moment. But first, let's check in on the forecast with meteorologist Yvonne Shell. It has been a stunning few days. Yeah, and a beautiful start to the weekend. We got some sunshine in the mix. We did have that fog, and it is going to set up once again overnight tonight. So a heads up. Temperatures right now, we're currently sitting at 4 degrees. We've got a northwesterly wind, but it was areas away from the water today getting close to the double digits. It'll be chilly overnight tonight. We'll be down to 1, so a heads up. We've got that fog. It'll lead in towards the morning hours, likely dissipating as we get in towards the afternoon. Highs tomorrow will be up to 8 degrees. It's areas away from the water, double digits closer to 12, including the Fraser Valley. And then late evening and overnight is when we're going to watch a change on the way with the potential for some rain that is going to move in across the region. But most areas across the southern half of the province still remaining dry throughout the day. The moisture is going to pick up along the north and central coast and intensify, especially towards the evening hours. And this weather maker that is going to move in across the southern half of the province will be late evening. So that's tomorrow night. And then by Monday morning is when we'll see the potential for some wet weather and light snowfall or wet snowfall for many areas into the southern interior. Now, the northern half of the province, so on and off showers along the coast for tomorrow, heavier rainfall towards the evening. The northeastern corners of the province will see an increase in cloud cover. Much of the central interior looks to be periods of rain through the day, highs between 3 and up to 4 degrees, and the southern half of the province. Great start tomorrow, dry conditions, some sunshine will be in there. It's late evening and then overnight that we could see the potential for some light snowfall, especially higher elevations if you're traveling along the mountain passes. You'll want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions, and that'll take us in towards our Monday morning commute. Now, most areas near Whistler tomorrow, some breaks in there, highs, pleasant, up to 8 degrees, and along the south coast, so we will have that fog for the morning hours, and then along the island, could see that increase in cloud cover through the day for tomorrow. But the moisture for us will pick up overnight and in towards our Monday. It'll likely be on and off showers, and then Tuesday onwards, there is some cloud cover, but dry conditions so far. Neethu? All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. Swimmers had a chance today to say goodbye to an institution in the Royal City. The public had a chance to do a final walkthrough of the Canada Games Pool, take a photo or collect a memento before the facility in New Westminster is decommissioned. The pool opened back in 1973, serving lower mainland residents for nearly 50 years. It was named for its initial use as the host of the 1973 Canada Summer Games. It had been set to be decommissioned in August, but the city decided to close the Olympic Standard swimming and diving pool sooner after a leak was discovered in the main pool tank. A little bit sad. Yeah, <laughs> you bit see? sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have a lot of good memories here. The kids took lessons here. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's been uh, it's a really nice community. 
also will be missed. We've had uh, or expecting over 700 people to come through the facility today to say farewell and share fond memories. In those days, before I turned to Kruger, I came from Surrey, worked out, went on to Scott Paper at 10.30, did my graveyard shift, and oh, lots of memories here. The neighboring Thomasout Aquatic and Community Centre is set to open in late 2023. And by the way, Thomasout means sea otter house. So many memories to oh, look That diving board up there, I remember yeah. that as a kid. Oh, dear. Stood there for minutes trying to <laughs> decide if you're going to take the plunge. High dive or low dive, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I prefer to be poolside. Ah, <laughs> uh, good call. Yeah, safe bet. Uh, so many Super Bowl Sunday memories as well. Uh, yeah, Super Bowl is coming up uh, tomorrow, of course, and, uh, but ahead of the big game, the Canucks got a big one right now against the Leafs. In the dying moments, Canucks are hanging on by their fingernails. Toronto's dominated, <laughs> but somehow Vancouver's winning, so we should have a final by the time uh, I'm up in a few minutes. So, uh, yes, very, very, very nervous times for Canucks fans. Nail-biter, yeah. indeed. All right, thanks for that, Barry. Also ahead, a historic heritage collection you can soon see for yourself in Vancouver. I couldn't think of a better better home for the collection. The country's first Chinese-Canadian museum finds a permanent home in the city. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. The oldest structure in Vancouver's Chinatown is set to house Canada's first Chinese-Canadian museum. Beginning next year, the Wing Sang building will showcase stories of achievement and resilience. And tonight, we're getting an inside look at the future home of Chinese-Canadian history. Kristen Robinson reports. Some of these characters are over 80 years old. Inside the 133-year-old Wing Sang building, Vancouver's oldest schoolroom still intact with the original slate board used to educate merchant Yip Sang's children. Then later also became a classroom for um, immigrants. We'll go up to the second floor. Real estate developer and art collector Bob Rennie bought 51 East Pender in 2004 for one million. He spent five years and another 22 million restoring it to house his corporate office and the Rennie Museum. Diversity and inclusion has been a threat all the way through, but there's a better custodian, and it's the Chinese Canadian Museum. The province is providing $27.5 million to BC's Chinese Canadian Museum Society to purchase the heritage building and support the unprecedented project. I feel as if uh, I need a more significant word than significant. Yip Sang started construction here in 1888 for his import-export business, then expanded to provide a home for his family. The goods from the street were actually hoisted up. What looks like a door to nowhere from the street is actually a rice door used to move dry goods to the second floor to avoid ground-level flooding. And it brings to life what it must have been like at that time. This secret laneway that ran through, that ran, runs all the way through Chinatown. The Chinese could not be on the streets after a certain time. In an era of racist policies, including an imposed curfew, this narrow hallway was originally a secret passageway between buildings, allowing Chinese Canadians to maintain life after dark. When we did the renovation, there were still doorways 
in the crumbling foundation that would have taken you out under the street. The museum's opening in 2023 will mark 100 years since the Chinese Exclusion Act. Between 1923 and 1947, there were only 50 Chinese citizens allowed to immigrate to Canada. The Rennie Foundation donating $7.8 million to the museum's society to help sustain its future in a space where BC's hidden past is already exposed. Kristen Robinson, Global News. All right, Barry's back with a full sports cast after this break and later. The two guys were sitting at the sea bus with garbage bags full of what was our jackets that they, they stole. Bold but not brave. The getaway gone wrong for two suspects in a store theft. The Variety Show of Hearts returns to Global BC for three days. Tune into Global BC on February 24th and 25th and meet some of the incredible children you've helped in 2021. Then don't miss the Show of Hearts telethon on February 26th, featuring special guests David Foster, Catherine McPhee, and Colin James. The Early Bird RV Show and Sale is back after a two-year hiatus. Head to Abbotsford Stradex to see all the newest and best RV models. Listen to informative seminars, see dealer displays, and more. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you by London Drugs. Get your 2022 Pink Shirt Day merchandise now at London Drugs. All right, Barry's here for sports, and we'll start off with the Canucks. How are they doing tonight? Well, they just finished up, and it was a thriller. Oh, wow. And I'll show you all of it. Thanks very much, Nithu. The Canucks have uh, 34 games left, I guess 33 now, 20 of them at home. And if they uh, get, need to get to 95 points to make the playoffs, they would likely need to go somewhere around 24 wins, 10 losses to get in. That's a pretty big ask. That means the Canucks have to beat some quality teams like tonight's opponent, the Maple Leafs. Canucks haven't had a lot of success against this talented Toronto team in recent years. It would be a big boost to beat them tonight. Bruce Boudreaux wanted a better start after giving up uh, five goals to the Isles the other night in the first, and he got it. Two minutes in, Bo Horvat drives the net. Poke checked by Peter Morazic, but J.T. Miller on the rebound roofs it after Morazic got tangled up with Horvat. Miller 17th, and it's one nothing Canucks. And then on the power play, it's Miller back to Oliver Ekman Larson. No Quinn Hughes. Don't forget out with COVID and stuck in the states. And it's Bo Horvat, or uh, rather uh, Brock Besser on the doorstep. His 14th. Great start for the Canucks. Two nothing. Leafs are dangerous, of course. Late first, Austin Matthews Ripper fought off by Demko. William Nylander off the post. Canucks fortunate there, but they led 2-0 after one. Second period, another close call for the Leafs. Ilya Mikheyev shot squeezes through Demko, but goes wide. That was shorthanded. Remains 2-0. But the Leafs are relentless, and finally on the power play, they will strike. Demko does make a nice save, but John Tavares, instead of shooting, watch, tees it up for Austin Matthews, who's got one of the best shots in hockey, 2-1 to one on Matthews' 32nd. Leafs' top-ranked power play gets another chance, and they cash in the second unit. Jason Spezza, nice play. Slap pass deflected in by Andre Kasha. Leafs dominating, tied at two. A lot of Leaf fans there as usual, but the Canucks get the momentum back thanks to a Tavares turnover, and it's Yuho Lamico on the rebound. He's been very good for the Canucks, especially the last month or so. His fourth. 3-2 despite being outshot 23-7 in that second. Leafs with more chances in the third. William Nylander denied on the breakaway. And also Ilya Mikheyev. But Demko, heroic. 51 saves. This has just gone final. They can thank him for the 3-2 win. 
Also, Abbotsford Canucks starting to get on a roll, hosted Manitoba Moose last night. Jack Rathbone showing his offensive skill, roofs one there. And uh, really, this one was all Canucks. Delta's Nick Patan with some style points here between the legs. He had two last night, 30 points in 26 games for Patan. And Phil DiGiuseppe getting in on the act, a terrific deke as uh, Abbotsford wins at 8-2. Same two teams meet again tonight, 7 o'clock in Abbey. Day 9 of the Beijing Olympics is just nicely underway. Canada looking to add to its uh, medal hall in short track speed skating and long track speed skating. Our men's hockey team lost 4-2 to the United States last night. Canada will play the host from China at 5 a.m. Sunday morning our time, needing a decisive win to advance directly into the quarterfinals and avoid a sudden-death playoff in-game. Canada did get one medal on day nine, and it came in snowboard cross. Once again, Prince George uh, athlete Marietta O'Dine won a bronze. This time she had to go above and beyond. You see that the Italian border literally lands on her head, but O'Dine managed to get up and make her way down to capture the bronze. What a breakout game for O'Dine. Two medals, the first ever Prince George athlete to win Olympic medals. Great job by her. And here's the up-to-date medal standings. Norway leads the way with 17. Canada's got a lot of bronzes, just the one gold, but they are fifth overall with 13. Jack Crawford is back from Beijing, where he became just the fourth Canadian man to ever win a medal in alpine skiing. Crawford was born in Toronto, but at age 15, decided he was going to move to Whistler to really pursue his skiing career, and he's never left. Crawford was back in Whistler today, basking in the glow of his bronze medal in the combined event and appreciating how much Whistler has shaped his very promising skiing career. To come out here and experience what skiing could be outside of the gates was something that kind of created a new persona for me. It, it showed what skiing is and how much I can enjoy it outside of the sport that I've dedicated so much of my time to. And, and I can say the same about Ontario. There's, there's so many things that I gained from them and from Whistler, and I definitely wouldn't be here today without both of them. Uh, winning a medal at the Olympics has been a dream of mine since I was a little kid. Uh, I've got a long list of things that I want to accomplish in my sport, but winning a medal at the Olympics was, was one of the top three, and, and to be able to check mark that off so early in my career just feels amazing. Awesome for Jack. Adam Hadwin did some major swing changes over a year ago, and it's taken some time for him to get some results during tournaments. But this week in Phoenix, where he has lived for many years, Hadwin's game is starting to come together. Hadwin in the hunt at the WM Phoenix Open, where the crowds are the biggest, loudest, and rowdiest on the PGA schedule. There is the 16th hole, home of 20,000-plus very lubed-up fans. They get over 200,000 fans per day on the entire course. There's nothing like it in golf. Hadwin started the day four back of the lead, but quickly climbed the leaderboard. Great approach at the first, led to a bird. Second hole, just rinse and repeat that swing from 122 yards out. And this one also tight, four and a half feet away, made that for birdie, got to 10 under, tied for the lead now, Adam Hadwin, the pride of Abbotsford. Third hole, 15-footer now for birdie, and he will roll that in, and he's got the solo lead, but he would go birdie-less for the next 13 holes. So a great start, but then a kind of flatlined. More from Adam in a moment. The only other Canadian to make the cut, Corey Connors. He's at that 16th hole. What a sight that is. Great shot here to eight feet. The crowd goes wild. If you hit a good one, they cheer. A bad one, and they will boo you. 
Nothing else like it in golf. Connors at minus six, tied for 29th. Now, still at 16, Sam Ryder doing what every golfer dreams of at this tournament. You know what's coming. This is perfect. In the hole, and the crowd goes wild, and we mean wild. Let the beer showers begin. Hundreds of bottles. It took a while to clean up the carnage at 16, like a college frat party. But what a moment for Sam Ryder. He will never forget that one. Back to Adam Hadwin. He's at the 16th. This is for birdie, and look how Knocks it in. He had bogeyed the two previous holes. Adam shoots three under 68. He's at 11 under, tied for seventh, and he's still in it, just three back. The leader, PGA rookie, Sahith Thigala. Birdie at the 17th for Thigala. He's got a one-shot lead on Brooks Kepka, two better than Patrick Cantley and Xander Schauffele. ATP tennis from Rotterdam, the Netherlands. Felix Ojealiasim against Russian Andre Rublev in the semis. Felix dropped the first set but roared back. Key game in the second set. Felix uh, fought off four break points and then hammers the passing shot there. What an angle. That evens the set at three apiece, and Felix really got the momentum. He would then get a break of his own, rips the forehand winner at net, took the second set 6-4, and then he ran away with it from there. Broke Rublev twice early in the third, served really well, which he has all the uh, 2022 season, especially at the Aussie Open. Smash put away there, and Felix on his way to the finals against Greece's Stefano Tsitsipas. Felix, though, 0-8 in career ATP finals. NBA tonight, Raptors home to Denver. Last game, Toronto will have to play without fans on their home court. Second quarter, Pascal Siakam to the Ontario kid. Delano Banton, sweet move to lay it in. Raps have three Canadians on their roster. All are big contributors off the bench. Boucher and Birch as well. Pascal Siakam has dominated the last six weeks. Another strong game. Hits the three here. He had 19 points at the half. Raps led 57-56. Gary Trent Jr. coming off 42 the other night in Houston. More than just a great shooter. He takes it strong in the paint. And right now it's a tight ball game. Denver leads by one very late in the fourth as the Raps try to extend the win streak to nine. National lacrosse league from Rogers, Warriors and Saskatchewan Rock. How about this pass by the goalie, Alex Bouquet. Great deep pass to Garrett McIntosh. It's a Super Bowl arm right there. Warriors uh, defender opening up the scoring. Kyle Killen continue to produce. Whips it past the Saskatchewan keeper. They're a season-high eight-goal outburst in the second for the Warriors. And then Marty Dinsdale with his hat-trick goal against his former team. Logan Schuss also had three. Warriors now four and three as they win it 13-7. Neethu, that's all I got. Back to you. Thanks so much, Barry. We'll be right back with the failed getaway by theft suspects who literally missed the boat. Well, businesses across Metro Vancouver are battling shoplifting, theft and brazen break-ins with criminals often escaping capture. But that wasn't the case in North Vancouver early Thursday when a pair of suspects hit a ski shop and then got caught in a getaway gone wrong. First guy tripped over the magazines we had in the front door. They struck 
just after midnight. It's the first time we've had rocks thrown through our, through our door. Busting through the glass of North Shore Ski and Board, clearing a rack of high-end jackets, and walking out with the $7,500 haul in under 30 seconds. Pretty uh, impressive, I'd say. Um, they, the, one, the one guy just walks straight through the glass, no hesitation at all. Um, they look like they've, been, they've done it before, for sure. The smash-and-grab suspect's getaway, not so smooth. One of the benefits of the North Shore is that it has fairly limited uh, escape routes. You can take the uh, Iron Workers Bridge, you could take the Lionsgate Bridge, you could take the sea bus or, well, you could swim. With that in mind, it didn't take long for officers to spot the alleged thieves at Lonsdale Key. They got radio that the two guys were sitting at the sea bus with garbage bags full of what was our jackets that they, they stole. One was quickly arrested. The other, police say, tried to flee. Ran down the sea bus uh, gangway to where the sea bus docks. Uh, unfortunately for that person, the sea bus was not in the terminal, and so they had nowhere to go. Obviously, they didn't check the, uh, the scheduling for the sea bus uh, because they just missed it by a couple minutes. Shock at the dock for the pair who learned that after 9.15 p.m., the sea bus only sails every half hour. The police man that arrested them basically just uh, came back to the store um, with them sitting in the car right outside, um, and uh, which has handed over all of our jackets. The recovered jackets are back on the rack, but with COVID and supply chain issues, it could take six to eight weeks and up to two grand to replace the door. The ski shop says it'll return with thicker glass to thwart future thieves. Kristen Robinson, Global News. It helps when the thieves are kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. It helps. C-Bus doesn't double as a getaway vehicle, <laughs> <No>. does it? <laughs> okay, well, let's plan to check forecast-wise. What's coming up for us, Yvonne? We just have some fog. It'll be dry, a bit cool overnight tonight, and then tomorrow anywhere between eight areas away from the water up to 12 degrees, and then it's Sunday overnight to Monday that we could be tracking a bit of rain and then clearing out quite quickly. Got it. Okay, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night.